Well, we have been in a series called Big Ideas of the Bible. This is our our fourth week. We'll be going through July with the same series. We started off with uh, redemption. Then we talked about the dual nature of Jesus being all God and also being all man. Last week, Pastor Sam brought a word about uh, covenant. And this morning, we're gonna talk about faith. Just talk about faith. If you missed any of those other uh, lessons or you'd like to hear them again, you can go to nccTyler.org and listen to those or you can now go to the Apple iTunes store and subscribe to our podcast. Yes, and they will be sent right to you. Well, you ready to get in the word? Yay. Okay, if you got your Bibles with you or your pads or your phones, turn to Mark 5. If you don't have any of those, don't worry about it because Scripture's going to be right up there. It's going to look real good right up there. While you're turning over there, let me tell you a little story. In uh, 1495, Leonardo da Vinci was commissioned to paint the, the, his famous painting of The Last Supper. And he spent three years on this painting. Had the disciples on each side of Jesus and in the center is the central figure of Jesus with his arms raised. And in the painting, there was a a, a beautiful golden cup or a chalice in Jesus's hand as he had it raised up there. And Leonardo was very, very proud of what he had done, and he invited a friend to come in and give his opinion. And when the friend came in, he said, it is so lifelike, it is so realistic. He said, that cup in in Christ's hand, it it, it looks like I could reach out and, and just take it. It is so beautiful. I cannot take my eyes off of that chalice. And da Vinci got this sour look on his face, picked up his paintbrush, went over and painted across the chalice. He said, nothing will distract from the figure of Jesus. In this world, I don't know if you have noticed it or not, or if it just hangs around my house, there are a lot of distractions that come. There are a lot of things that try to come and pull our attention away from the figure of Jesus. Not all of them bad, but sometimes we give up great for good. Sometimes God has something for us that would absolutely blow us away, but we settle for what's just good. So this morning, let's talk about great. We serve a great God, don't we? Last night, I got to hear the testimonies of people that came to know Jesus, that that, that had uh, addictions broken off of them. And they were so excited just to tell me their testimony. I stood and listened to a man for about 20 minutes, and I kept looking at him going, brother, you were called to preach because you talk way too much. He just kept telling me how God had set him free from the crack pipe. And I was going, that is awesome. That is awesome. 
And he said, you know, a lot of people, they like to say God is good, don't they? He goes, I don't say God is good. He said, I say God is awesome. God is awesome because he's been so much better to me than good. God is awesome. Yes. So we don't want to be distracted from anything. We don't want to allow anything to distract us from the figure of Jesus. In fact, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus if we're going to keep going forward. Hebrews 12, 2 tells us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So we look to Jesus and he inspires us, but we can't stop there. We don't want to just be inspired to have faith. We have to understand that Jesus is also perfecting our faith. He's taking it deeper. So we, we always keep our eyes on Jesus. We don't look at him once. We keep going. We keep going deeper with Jesus. And the more that we have our eyes on him, the further that we can go. So keep your eyes on Jesus because he's not just starting something in you. He's going to finish it as well. All right, so before we get over into, into Mark chapter five, let's just let the Bible interpret the word faith for us. Give us the definition of the word faith. How about that? That'd be okay? I can tell you all day long what it means to me. I can give you my opinion, but when you can go to the word of God and the word of God says, this is what faith is, that's probably where we should be, Right? So let's read Hebrews 11, verse 1. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture. And I'm going to read this verse out of the Amplified Bible. That way you can hear some of the things that are behind it. And I don't have to stop and tell you what all the Greek is and all that so we can move forward. All right? So Hebrews 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance, title, deed, confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality, faith, comprehending as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. Now, let's stop here for just a second, just a second. Now, faith is the assurance, the title. Anybody got a title to a car at their house? You got the title. What does that mean? Anybody got the deed to their house? I don't have the deed to my house yet. I can say that's my house. I say it's my house all day long. But you know whose house it really is? It's the bank's house. That's right. But if you own the title, if you have the deed, it is yours. You own it, right? So the word says that faith owns the things. Faith owns the things that have been hoped for. Hope is good. Hope is, hope is when the word begins to come alive in us and you begin to hear the word preached and you hear testimonies going on and hope starts to go, ooh, could that be for me? Could that be for me? Could that be for me? And something starts to stir inside of you. But hope blossoms into faith because faith says, I own it. It's mine. Now it's mine. Now listen to the end of this. The conviction of their reality, faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. 
If we're always waiting for something to manifest in our physical form, then we don't need faith, do we? Faith says, even though I can't see it, even though I can't feel it, even though I don't understand it yet, God, your word says, so I believe that it's true. Okay? Let me demonstrate this for you, or let me give you an illustration of this real quick. Back in October, 1st of October, I got sick. I, I, I got, I got I, not life-threatening sick, but quality of life definitely sick. And I put up with it for a few days. We do that, don't we? Oh, I'll get over it. I put up with it for a few days and nothing was changing. So I made an appointment with the doctor. Went in to see the doctor and she prescribed me some medicine and I went home and started taking the medicine and the, mo the, the first day I started taking it, man, things got better. I was like, well, awesome, that's awesome. Thank you, Lord. But before I even finished with the medicine, all the symptoms had come back. So I called the doctor back and they said, well, we need to send you to a specialist. So they sent me to a specialist and this doctor gave me not just a little medicine, gave me a whole bunch of medicine. You ever had to take a whole bunch of medicine? I don't, I don't like taking pills to begin with. My wife can tell you she has to force me, force me to take medicine. But I had all this medicine that I was taking and it did no good at all. In fact, it felt like things were getting worse. And then being the, the man of God that I am and bright that I am, it's like, well, you know, I haven't even prayed about this. So I came to church one Sunday morning and, and the symptoms were particularly bad. I mean, really bad, very discouraging. And I went home and I said, Lord, we're gonna have to do something about this. And I just went and I shut the door to the bedroom and I just got with God. I mean, for, it, it wasn't one of those where I went in there and prayed for a couple minutes and went out. I mean, I spent hours with the Lord. What was I doing? I was going to the word. I was reading healing scriptures. I was praying over myself and I was getting my heart in line with what God says. Amen. Now that was the first of November. I'd already been dealing with this for a month. But on that Sunday night, and this is, it's nothing that I made up. As I'm going along, I'm reading, I'm praying, I'm declaring the word of God over myself. Something changed. It changed in my heart. Didn't change in my symptoms. Because all of the symptoms were still there. Everything was just as it had been before I started praying. But something rose up inside of me and I knew that I knew, that I knew that it was done. Faith came alive. I got out of hope and faith came alive. And that's the beginning of November. I went through the whole month of November. I went through the whole month of December. Nothing has changed. In fact, things seem to be getting worse. Physically. But in my heart, nothing had changed. Every morning when I got up, I thanked the Lord for my healing. Every morning when I got up, I continued to read healing scriptures over myself. 
It comes to January, and we're having a, a saturation service, the first one of the year, and we came, and once again, it was particularly bad that night if you're looking at the symptoms. Have you ever been in this place, and you start to feel weary from the fight? The Bible says, do not be weary in well-doing, but if you hold on, you'll receive. Pastor Sam was up here doing some ministry. Lisa was actually over here doing some ministry, and she was praying for somebody, and I was sitting right back over here, and I just had my head down, and I was just praying. And this weird thing came out of me. I just said, Lord, it would be nice to know just how much longer. Just how much longer, Lord? I've received it. I believe it in my heart. There is no doubt, Lord, that you have done this for me. I'm just wondering. Because the enemy is coming around going, man, it's never going to happen. It's never going to work. You're going to deal with this for the rest of your life. And I'm sitting right there. And Lisa happened to be praying for somebody. And that person that she was praying for turned around and goes, hey, Pastor Chris, I think I have a word for you. I said, okay, cool. So I walked up there, and this wonderful lady said, what you've been praying for, God, God says, you got it. I said, Great. And she said, and I just keep hearing the number 14. I don't know what that is. And I said, well, I'm going to take it as 14 days. I probably should have taken it as 14 hours, but <laughs> I took it as 14 days. That was on a Sunday. I'm thinking, well, day one starts on Monday, so two weeks from Monday, everything will be good. Two weeks later, on a Sunday morning, I was getting ready for church, having to be sitting back in my study. I was just reading and praying. And just like that, just like that, just like that, it all changed. No more symptoms, no more issues, no more problems. But here's the question. I told that whole long story for this. When was I healed? Middle of January? First of November. I saw it in the middle of January, but it was done in the middle, at the beginning of November. That's what faith does for us. Faith says it's done. I own the title. I own the deed. I am assured of what God has promised. No matter what it looks like, no matter what it looks like, faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. Because if we're waiting for it to change in the physical, we may be waiting forever. But if we're standing by faith, doesn't matter what it looks like, doesn't matter what it feels like, doesn't matter what it smells like. Faith grabs hold of the word. Okay? So I needed to put that out there before we go into, into uh, Mark chapter 5. This morning I'm going to show you six principles 
out of Mark chapter five, six faith principles. Now, I taught this a couple of terms ago during our Wednesday night term groups, and I had nine principles there, so you're getting the shortened version. Everybody says hallelujah, right? (laughs) All right, so let's go to to Mark chapter five. I'm not long-winded, thank you. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. I am standing out there last night and I'm talking with, with this, this wonderful pastor under the bridge and he's, he's talking to me and he says, hey, we're gonna have to have you come out and speak. And I said, that would be awesome. And one of our church members was standing right there and he says, well, you better let him know how long he has to speak because he'll go on all night long. I would call him out, but, uh, but that would be rude, wouldn't it, Mark Smith? <laughs> All right, in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21, it says, when Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him. So he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. All right, faith, principle number one. Faith is about position. Faith is about position. Now, this man was the ruler of the synagogue. Back in those days, he was basically the mayor of the city. He was a civic leader. He was a spiritual leader. He was the man in town. He had position. But that's not the position that I'm talking about. The, The position that I'm talking about is what this man who had all this power, who had all this clout, what he did. You see, he could have, he could have said, hey, I hear that, that traveling preacher Jesus is coming to town. When he gets here, make an appointment for him to come see me. I'll meet him at the synagogue, you know, in between this meeting and that meeting. Because I'm sure he was a busy man, right? But that's not what he did. It says he met Jesus as soon as he was getting off the boat. And the moment that he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. The position of faith is a position of humility. It's not a position of pride. We have to understand that we don't tell God what to do. We humble ourselves before God. And here's this man with all this clout. He didn't even pull the, well, I'll go down there and y'all get him to come over here so I can talk to him. He didn't do that, did he? It says he fell on his face before Jesus. He humbled himself before Jesus. Faith flourishes at the feet of Jesus. Faith flourishes at the feet of Jesus. Now, if I feel like I'm, if you feel like I'm uh, running through this real quickly, it's because I took way too long to tell that other story. 
So I am. I only have 15 minutes left. So faith principle number two. Faith principle number one, faith is about position. Faith principle number two, faith is public. Faith is public. Once again, this man, with all the clout that he had, with all the people that he had working for him, with all the things that he had going on with him, he could have said, get Jesus to come see me. But he didn't do that. He went to see Jesus. And not only did he, he humble himself before Jesus, he humbled himself in front of all of his constituency. Could you imagine the mayor of, of Tyler or Dallas or wherever on their face before Jesus with everybody watching? Not just the mayor, what about us? See, we can't have that uh, situational faith where you talk real big in front of everybody, but then outside, it's something else. And you can't have that sneak into it faith either. Sometimes we want God to do things for us, but, but we don't wanna be bold with our faith. We don't wanna get out there and talk about our faith. This man was very bold with what he did. He spoke, not only did he get at the feet of Jesus, but he said exactly what he wanted Jesus to do. And, and he was out front in front of everybody about it. I heard a story, and this happened back in the 50s. There was a healing revival in the United States in the 40s and 50s where these evangelists would take these big tents around. And there was a preacher that uh, had come to this town and there was a very prominent businessman whose wife was dying of cancer. And here comes the, the healing evangelist into town. Well, the businessman sent his assistant down there and said, hey, uh, you come to my house and pray for my wife. And the evangelist said, no. You bring your wife here and I will pray for her. So he goes back and tells the businessman, well, the businessman's just furious. What do you mean he won't come to my house? But then reality hits him, his wife is dying. So he puts his wife in the car and they drive down to the tent and he sends his assistant in and says, hey, tell, tell the preacher that I got my wife here, get him to come out here and pray for my wife. <laughs> and the evangelist says, no, you bring your wife in here and I'll pray for her. Well, the assistant goes back and tells the businessman, businessman's furious, they drive away. But his wife is still dying. So he comes back. He comes back early. And they carry his wife in on a stretcher and he says, okay, preacher, you win, I'm here, pray for my wife. I guess you're just trying to embarrass me in front of all these people in my city. Pray for her. And he said, no. He said, you go sit on the front row, take your wife down there, she can lay out on the stretcher, I'll pray for her after the service. He's furious again, and they leave. But his wife is still dying. So they come back. Bring the wife in on a stretcher. Man sits down on the front row like this. And the evangelist begins to, to preach. 
And somewhere in that message, this man's heart begins to break. And there on the front row, he just begins to weep. He's humbling himself. He's understanding that if, if, if his wife is going to be healed, he's going to have to stand with her. And as his heart is breaking, and he begins to cry out to God for his wife, the evangelist looks down at him and goes, Now, now you see why I wanted you here. God did not just want to heal your wife. He wanted to set you free. Then he comes down off the stage and prays for the wife. See, the faith had to become public. He was so concerned about what everybody would think about him that pride was keeping him away from the miracle that God had for him. We cannot allow pride to keep us from getting to God. We've got to be public with our faith. Put it out there. Put it out there. So faith is position. Faith is public. Here's number three. Not everyone will help you on your faith journey. Not everyone will help you on your faith journey. In verse 23, it says, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. Now, there was a lot of people that had come down there to see Jesus, but they weren't there for the same reason that the ruler of the synagogue was there. They just wanted to see something. And they may have even been moving along, but just think of how slow that big crowd was moving along. You know, biblically, when it starts talking about a big crowd, they're not talking about 15, 20 people. They're talking about hundreds, maybe even thousands of people that were crowding around that boat, crowding around that shore. And Jairus is inviting Jesus back to his house. How slow is that moving? How slow are they going? There was a lot of people there that were not going the same way that he was going. There were a lot of people that were not there for the same reason that he was there. And there is a lot of people that are around us that are not going the same way that we are going and they are not here for the same reason that we are here. That doesn't make them bad people. But you just need to make a choice of are we gonna let people slow us down Are we going to let people keep us from the task that God has for us? Or are we going to understand that, you know what, let's get out of the crowd. Let's get what God has for us. Then maybe he'll send us back to the crowd. Maybe we can turn and minister to the crowd after that. But let's get moving. Let's get going. I read a story, and I'm not going to tell a long story here, but I read a story about a, a cross-country uh, collegiate event. Now, I've never r- uh, run cross-country. I don't barely run across the room now. You know, you know how that is. So I don't really know how these courses are laid out when they're running across pastures and out in the woods and all this type of stuff. But obviously, there's some kind of markers that are supposed to tell them where to go. So at this event, there was 128 guys that were running in this event. And they all get going, and they all start missing this sign that tells them, go this way. 
And there's a guy that's kind of close to the back of the pack and he's running up there and he sees everybody going in front of him and he notices he's supposed to go that way. So being very much unlike me because I would have thought I'm losing this race, I'm about to win this race. He stops and starts yelling at everybody, hey, you're supposed to go this way. You're supposed to go this way. And nobody's paying any attention to him whatsoever. And the fact was that 123 out of 128 guys in that competition ran the wrong way. Not everybody's going where you're going and they're not going in the same direction that you're going and they're not going for the same reason that you're going. You go the way that you're supposed to go. You go the way that the Lord is directing you to go. All right? Okay. Number four. I gotta get four, five, and six in six minutes. There we go. Number four. Don't become impatient or resentful when someone else receives. Don't become impatient or resentful when someone else receives. In verse 25, we see that there was a woman that was sick. The Bible says she had an issue of blood. She'd been bleeding for 12 years. For 12 years, and it says that she'd spent all of her money, all of her money on doctors, and now she was still sick, but broke. And she says in verse 28, if I just touch his garments, I'll get well. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately Jesus perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around. Paint the picture for you. Jairus is just now getting Jesus going. Come on, come on, my daughter's dying, my daughter's dying. You get to the house, everything will be okay, but let's get going. He's just now getting Jesus going and this woman sneaks up behind him and touches Jesus and she gets healed, which is great, but Jesus stopped. What is, what is he thinking now? What, what is Jairus thinking now? It's like, good Lord, come on. <laughs> Jesus stops and starts ministering to this woman. And, and you know, you're looking at your watch going, my daughter's dying, come on. Let's get going. Let's make this happen. But we can't get impatient or get upset when somebody else receives before we receive, if they get a manifestation of something before we do, that has absolutely nothing to do with what God is doing in your life. It doesn't mean that God loves them more, that God likes them more, they're better than you because that's all the stuff that the enemy will come and say. You just don't have the faith that they have. Oh, if you were only as holy as they were, if you prayed as much as Pastor Sam did, <laughs> then you would get it too. No, rejoice. Somebody just received from the Lord. Rejoice. You want to get something in your life, in your, in, in your family? 
You want something to break loose for you? Rejoice with somebody else. Don't let the enemy steal from you. Don't let them come along and say, ah, oh, you're not gonna get it. Well, you know what, Mr. Devil, even if I didn't get it, I see that God is true because right here, he just did it and I'm gonna rejoice with them. Okay, number five, number five, no matter what the report, keep looking to Jesus. No matter what the report, keep looking to Jesus. Verse 35, while he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue officials saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? Why trouble the teacher anymore. We've just gone from desperate to dead. And you know, he's standing there. If Jesus hadn't have stopped, if all of these people hadn't have been around, we'd have gotten there and this would have been okay. What do you do now? What do you do now? You hear the voice of the Lord. I love this about Jesus. Verse 36, Jesus, it says, but Jesus overhearing what was being spoken. What was, Jesus is still over here ministering to this lady, but he hears them come up and say to the, to the uh, synagogue official. But Jesus overhearing what was being spoken said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Only believe. I'm going to give you a, a, a big lesson in, in Greek right now. I looked up that word only in Greek. In the Greek, the word only means only. <laughs> only. Jesus didn't say, hey, you had to roll around on the floor, you had to hop around on your leg, you had to do all these spiritual exercises. He said, only believe. Only believe. Because if he was living by what he heard, what had been told to him, it's done. It's over. It's over. And also notice, Jesus put it on him. Jesus put it on him. Jesus looked at him and said, you believe. You believe. I know why I'm here. You believe. You believe. So only believe. In that moment, emotions will try to take over and overwhelm you. And it's easy to lose sight of what God has in store for you. But don't give up. Don't give up. And here's number six in 10 seconds. Create an atmosphere of faith. Create an atmosphere of faith. Verse 38, they came to the house of the synagogue official and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing and entering, he said to them, why make such a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they begin laughing at him, but putting them all out. Jesus just put grandmama outside. <laughs> Jesus just told brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles, get out. 
Why? Because they're bad people? No. Because there need to be an atmosphere of faith. There need to be an atmosphere of faith going on. Let me tell you, good meaning people, lovely people that love you, they love you, but they will talk you out of faith. And they're not doing it to be malicious. It's, it's because they're living according to experience. They'll come up and go, oh, my sister had that too and she died. Thank you. I feel so much better, but I'll be praying for you. No, that's okay. That's okay. I love you, but I don't know if I, I, don't know if I need you praying for me. It's good. It's good. Jesus put them all out to create an atmosphere of faith. So what do you need from God this morning? What do you need from God this morning? Because whatever it is, whatever it is, let me tell you exactly what Jesus said. Do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. Believe.